Lord. I know, Lord, that I can't do this of myself, Lord. I feel, I feel this morning, I, I felt like running away. I feel so weighed down by the word I have to share, Lord. I felt like, yo, how can I stand up and, 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 and you know, how can I do this? And I can't. I can only do this through your grace, Lord, and through, through, through your power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. That's a reality. And I stand up in front of anybody and say, it's a reality. Lord, you've changed my life. You have changed my life. Let me be a living testimony, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that everybody in here, that, you know, we're coming into your presence, Lord. We're two or more gathered. You're there with us. You're here with us, Lord. We cannot be the same. We cannot come out of here the same as when we came together to meet, Lord, because we're coming into your presence, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak to your people tonight, Lord. I pray, Lord, that if the hearts need to be convicted, that they will be convicted, that change would come, Lord. If encouragement is to be encouraged, I pray that encouragement would be received, Lord. Change us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, please, Lord, help me, Lord, to deliver this. I feel like I've got so much to get through. Please, Lord, help me to deliver this, Lord, in a way that, that is palatable, a way that people can receive it. Help me, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just trying to get, whenever you do this thing, the mouse disappears, the little cursor. So I'm just trying to find it. No. Oh, here we go. So we're going to, I said we've got a lot to go through. We're we're actually looking at one verse. I mean, the Bible's like that. We do Bible study and, you know, sometimes we we go through a a big piece of like four or five verses, a chunk of verses. And sometimes we go through one verse. Oh, she said press record. I didn't press record. Yeah, recording. Um, and it's God's word, man. I always give things a little, it's up there, mind yourself. I always give things a little subtitle for the, for the message. And it's, it's what speaks to me when I, when I go through the message. And this one is mind yourself. And I, I don't know, a good English translation would be, you be careful, watch out. Watch what you're doing. So before we get into that one verse, I'm going to read it in in its context with some surrounding verses just so, you know, we're not just pulling something out and changing it. So from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It kind of got warm all of a sudden. So we're going to, we're going to be focusing on verse 17. So, oh, thank you. Now, with verse 17, there's, there's kind of two camps. There's two schools of thought. Um, there's the camp that say that, you know, it, it's by your works you're saved. And there's another school of thought that, you know, it's not by your works. It's just, it's, it's by believing. Get someone to say the sinner's prayer and that's it. They're saved. They're both wrong. And I'm not going to waste my time going through the theology of each one to, to explain why they're both wrong. We're going to go through um, some points and that will, you will see that for yourself, all right? Hopefully. If I can... If I can um, Yeah, if I can communicate it clearly. So for those of you that are taking notes, and there's no reason why you wouldn't be taking notes. Had it all there, yeah. 
We're going to look at what it really means to believe. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe? We're going to look at how important is it to discern good and bad teaching, sound doctrine. We're going to look at do, do something with the sound teaching and doctrine that you acquire. And then beware of dissimulation. Works is the natural produce of faith. Like breathing is the natural produce of life. When I had surgery, they had to breathe for me. Do you know what I mean? But I was still alive. But breathing is, a, you know, we're alive, isn't it? So we're, we're, we're breathing. Are you breathing this morning? Well done, you're alive. Well done. Glory to God, you are alive this morning. So faith alone is not enough to be saved. Is that, is that what he's saying here? So what about scripture like this? What about scripture like Romans 5.1? Therefore, and since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified by faith just as Abraham was when he offered up his son as a sacrifice. You know what I mean? There was, a, there was an outworking of that faith. That's, that's, that's your works. Romans 10.9 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, there's your works. There's a natural produce of, of you believing. Are you following what I'm saying? John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That seems quite clear if you read the first part. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. All you have to do is believe. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It continues, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The obedience that comes from believing is works. To believe is to obey. Works is a produce of faith. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not a deal. It's not, it's not, it's not bartering with you. If you do this, I'll do this. He's saying, if you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the produce. That's what's going to happen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not a deal or offer or compromise. It's a statement. To believe alone is not enough. James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Because you believe in anything doesn't make it real. There's no quantifiable substance in believing. This might be foreign to our American friends, but in England, we have fox hunting. Do I believe in fox hunting? Yes, I do. I know there's fox hunting. I see, I see, I see them on the protesting for their right to do it. I've seen videos of them doing it. Yeah, I believe in fox hunting. Do I believe in, 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 in the substance of it like it's a good thing? No, I don't agree with it. I stand against it. Can you, you understand what I'm saying? So do I believe it's real? Yes. But do I agree with it and believe in it, as in the substance of it? No, I don't. What I'm trying to show you, to believe in a biblical context means that there's a response. There's a response to believing. I'm going to tell you a story. It's not a Bible story. I'll just mute this. It's a, it's a made-up fairy tale. And it's one you're familiar with. Let me just take a drink. Is the sound muted on, on this for a minute for me? Just so I don't, I don't want you to hear the sound on it. 
you know, I do, I do, I don't know, people that don't know me, I DJ, and I, I go up in front of thousands of people, and I talk, and I, you know what I mean, chat holy for whatever on the mic, and play music, and I'm so nervous, and it's because I'm handling the word of God, and you better be nervous, if you're going to be communicating on God who is holy, that holiness would, would consume you, I, and, and I'm, I'm communicating God's word, word to you this morning, do you know what I mean? Let's see if I can get this right. All right, this story is called The Don's New Suit. Let me say mute. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there lived the Don. He was the richest, most powerful man in his ends, and everybody feared him. The Don had a love for name brand clothes and was famous throughout his ends and beyond for always wearing something new and amazing. Two bad boys from Peckham heard about the Don. And his love for clothes. They went to the Don and introduced themselves as famous tailors from far away. They said they could make a suit that was invisible to fools. The very material it was made from was not visible to foolish people. The Don agreed and paid them a bundle of gold to start making the suit. He gave them a room to work in and the bad boys pretended to start making the suit. The Don's generals and advisors came to see how the suit was looking and saw nothing. They didn't want to be called fools, so they pretended to see the cloth and praise it, saying, boy, look, good, you know. <laughs> Eventually, they came to the Don and presented the new amazing suit. Of course, the Don could not see anything, but he didn't want to be called a fool. So he also pretended that it was nice, and he busted it that day in a parade. <laughs> Trash and ready. Everybody came out to see his new suit. Everybody on the ends had heard about it, and no one had ever seen anything like it, ever, literally. <laughs> As they walked down the road... As he walked down the road, butt naked, no one wanted to be called a fool. So no one pointed out that he's butt naked until a little girl spoke out. She said, Mommy, why is that man naked? People started whispering and slowly they started being honest and saying, he is naked. Until everyone was laughing and agreeing, we've been fooled. We've been taken for fools. The Don realized that he'd been played like a PS4 and was mad. He looked for the bad boys, but they'd bounce a long time with the money. <laughs> the Don believed in foolishness and ended up embarrassing himself. He believed his own lie that he could see something that wasn't there. His pretense exposed him, literally. He believed he, he was told, he believed what he was told, then he pretended he was up to par to walk in it. If you believe in Father Christmas, you will make provision for him. You will put out the stocking, the mince pie, and the carrot for Rudolph. Do you know what I'm saying? If you believe in the tooth fairy, you'll put, you'll put your buck tooth under the pillow and you know, wait for the fairy to come take it and leave you some money. To believe requires a response. But to believe in nothing or in a fantasy figure, that response will only be temporary. It will only be for a short while. Until you come to the point of maturity and realize it's foolishness. Or being laughed at. I'm going to look at another word in Hebrew um, that has a fuller meaning. I really want you to understand, understand this. The word is to hear. To hear the word of God is to shema in the Hebrew. So it's not merely hear, but to act upon what you hear. Jesus said, be doers and not hearers only. It's also written that they listen, but they do not hear. So I'm just going to show you a quick video. Can I get sound on this, please? For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words 
as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20. Ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors have used the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she had a son, and she named him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because, she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listens. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they'll listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they had ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. I think we, we, we all understand that. To hear is, 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 is demands a response, it demands to do. When you hear the gospel, when you, when you present the gospel to somebody, there's an opportunity. They've heard something, they, they have to respond to that. Some people will reject the gospel, some people receive it, some people may not receive it immediately. You may sow seeds, someone else comes along, shares with them, do you know what I'm saying? But we, we, we have a duty and responsibility when we come to church to Shema. There's a song that, that I used to, I'm a reggae DJ, I've always played reggae like, for, for hundreds of years. For about 30 years I've been a reggae DJ. And um, there was a song by Singing Melody that I used to play. I know the real title of it, but I, I used to think it was, I wash your back. I wash your back. So I, I just want to play Robert, you got them things queued up. So I want you to listen to this, listen to this song. This is, the original is by Take That. I wash your back. I wash your back. 
I wash your back. Anytime you're ready, I wash your back. Nice and loud, turn it up. There's another song, We Are Family. You know that disco song? We are family. They said, my children said, don't sing, dad, don't sing. We are family. What? They're not in here, so I can get away with it. It's a disco anthem. You know what I'm talking about? Is it Sister Sledge? Yeah, Sister Sledge. There's a lyric in there that I can't get my head around. It says, it says I'll tell you what it says before we play it. Staple the vicar. <laughs> play it, play it, please. See if I'm lying. Play it. Nice and loud. Nice and loud. Listen. Turn it up, man. Turn it up. Don't shy. Listen, 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 listen. Listen. <laughs> what, was I lying? Just let me stay for the vicar. Oh, wait, that's what? <laughs> I got this, for, I watched this comedian doing it. He did this with loads of songs, you know what I mean? I, I ripped him off and used it this morning. I, he, he did this with all these songs, and it, it's, there's so many songs, like, you're singing the wrong lyrics for ages. You don't even know what the lyrics are because you didn't hear it properly. How often are scriptures used like that? Spoken out of context or even made up? God won't give you more than you can bear. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It probably comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability or in the King James, I think, more than you can bear. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Clearly speaking about temptation to sin. Money is the root of all evil. I'm sure most of us know that's a misquotation. It actually says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And speaking of idolatry, the first commandment, Deuteronomy 5.7, You have no other gods before me. Here's a popular one. God helps those who help themselves. Again, it's not from the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. God helps the helpless. Isaiah 25.4 declares, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Romans 5.6 tells us, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. By his stripes we are healed. Lord God. The context of, of Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2 make it clear. They're not referring to, they, they are referring to spiritual healing, not physical. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The verse is referring to sin and righteousness, not, 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 not sickness and disease. Therefore being healed in both of these verses is speaking of being forgiven and saved. Not physically healed. That doesn't mean God don't heal. Of course God can. God made us from dust. Of course he can heal us. And he tells us what to do. If someone is sick, James 5.14, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So why would we have that if God don't heal? Of course God can heal. But we take verses. We hear what people tell us and we regurgitate. 
My point is, is that not only must we shema, but we must discern. Know what the Bible says for yourself. Our verse today is James 2.17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Where does faith come from in the first place? From what? From hearing the word of God. Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not made up motivational catchphrases or misquoted out of context scripture. Imagine attending a church every week where that's what you get. Misquoted, like just, just motivational speaking, telling you how great you are, you're more than a conqueror and you're this and you're that. You could be going to that church every week desiring to be faithful, to shamar, looking for application. And then you get a bunch of well-meaning Christians who love the Lord regurgitating catchphrases. I cancel those catchphrases and their assignment. (laughs) So we see the danger. You can fill yourself with false knowledge. And how important it is to discern the good and the bad teaching. And obtain sound doctrine. Paul, Paul charged Titus, who was an upcoming pastor, and he said to him in Titus 2.1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. To Timothy, from verse 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Why is sound doctrine so important? Sound doctrine is important because our faith is based on a specific message. The overall teaching of the church contains many different elements, but, but the primary message is, 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 is specific. It's defined. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he raised, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 3 to 4. This is another push word I learned. This is, this is the unambiguous good news. And it's of the first importance. If you change that message, then your faith shifts. Your focus of your faith shifts from Christ to something else. Our eternal destiny depends upon hearing, Shema, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, sound teaching. So you desire sound teaching. How do you know if you're getting sound teaching? There's a saying, I think it was D.L. Moody who said... To see if a stick is bent, the best way is put a straight stick next to it. If you want to know that you're receiving sound teaching, read your Bible. Study your Bible. If you hear something at your church and they're teaching you something and and you're like, it just don't feel right, it seems a bit... Go and look for yourself. So we move on to the third point. Do something with the sound teaching and the knowledge you acquire. You can fill yourself with biblical theology, sound teaching. But without an outworking of that knowledge, you too become a fool. Knowledge puffs up. If a preacher is confident to stand up in the pulpit and preach without praying, 
You're, you're in trouble. He's in trouble. We've got problems. I'm a confident person because I, I just don't business about anything. So I'm, I'm confident because of that reason. I'm ignorant. That makes me very confident. I will stand in front of anybody, don't fear nobody. I will, just, I will say it as it is. You know what I'm saying? But not when it comes to God's word. No, no. James 2, 17, our verse. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is a gift from God and it's alive. It, it naturally produces works. Does everybody see that? Does everybody understand that? Yeah? Are you, are you, are you with me? Are you alive this morning? Yeah. <coughs> faith is a gift from God. Faith comes from hearing or reading God's word, the Bible. Biblical theology is most easily defined as the biblical approach to the study of God. So a person can devote themselves to theology and get to know all about God and about his character. They could get a good grasp on the Trinity. They could explain predestination. Do you know what I mean? They can get real in it and tell you about this one, that one, and you know, all, all different Bible stories from the Old Testament and understanding this, that, and the other. They could even do a course in biblical Hebrew. But without biblical... All right, they, listen. They could, know, they, could know, they could know Hebrew words like Shema. They could know posh words like dissimulation. They could study biblical Hebrew, but without application, that person becomes a hypocrite, a fool full of pride. If you fill yourself with knowledge, with sound teaching, you have to look for application. If you don't, if you just fill it up and you fill your head up with all this knowledge and all this, you know it's proper, it's sound, it's on point, but you do that and you don't use the release valve of love, your head will puff up and puff up. Do something with the sound teaching and knowledge you acquire. Look for application. How can I apply what I've learned to my life? Do we simply know about God or do we really know him in such a way that his Holy Spirit is working in us and through us, growing our knowledge of him and changing us in our lives and affecting those around us? Is it causing us to be doers of his word? I don't business how long you've been attending church, how long you've been a Christian, or how, how many teams you serve on, or you do this and you do that. You can, you can have all of that. But if you're not outworking love, if you're not outworking the things that we're told to do, what, 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 what part of Christian, Christian are you? This brings us to our, to our fourth point. It crosses over into the fourth point. Beware of dissimulation. Dissimulation means concealment of one's thoughts. Feelings or character, pretense. The church in the 21st century, I had to check with my daughter what century it was, you know. The church in the 21st century is full of pretense. Plastic smiles and alter egos. The Christian who attends all the meetings, serves on every team. Is that enough evidence to show? Is that, is that their works? Is that enough to show? It's a good indicator, but no. No, you can't tell by that alone. It's not absolute proof. Those of you who have brought your Bibles to church, can you turn them on and turn to chapter 4, <laughs> verse 36, please. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 36, we're going to read through to Acts 5, verse 6. And those of you who didn't bring your Bible and, you're, and, you're, and you can't get in a service so your battery dead, it's on the screen. 
Thus Joseph, who was also called by the, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. In the scripture, didn't hear about him again. They didn't, they didn't do, do, what's that thing called, eulogy? They didn't talk nice things about him. They took him out on a carpet and buried him. Three hours later, his wife came in, same thing again. The giving was not mandatory. We, you know, some churches talk about their tithing. and it, it, that, No, it was not mandatory. In the early church, no, no one considered what he had, his own worldly possessions, his own. It had been purchased with the blood of Jesus. 10% is an insult. 100% is the Lord's. Your life belongs to God. So this guy brings, brings and lays down at the apostles' feet. The apostles were trusted to use the finances to take care of the members of the church. The apostles were in charge and made the decisions. It wasn't a democracy. I don't even know if democracy is biblical, but that's a different, that's not, that's a different conversation. I don't even know if it's biblical. It wasn't. You had, you had elders. You had those who were in charge. The apostles had authority. There was no command to sell and give. So why on earth did Ananias drop dead? God called Barnabas, a wealthy, wealthy man, into full-time Christian service, and he became one of the great evangelists of the early church. And he felt it was his responsibility. There was need in the church. Remember, in the church in Acts, you had, in, in, in Acts 4, it says that the, the, the Jews, because they was coming for Passover. You know, like the, the Muslims go to Mecca. It's sad I have to use an Islamic example for people to understand. The Muslims go to Mecca. You've seen them videos. They'll go, in Passover, that's the Jews. The Jews would come, it says in the Bible, from every nation under heaven. That's how you know that, that Jewish people are of all complexion, from all backgrounds. It says in the Bible, from every nation under heaven, the Jews, the Jews were coming. And then, at one point, 5,000 people got saved. So these guys are not running back home. They were all there congregating together. So there was, a, there was a lot of genuine need within the community. You had the people that lived there, had their yard and everything. But then you had these other people there who didn't have nothing. So there was a lot of need. And Barnabas, seeing this, you know what I mean? He, he, he sold something, come bring the money, put at the apostles' feet to distribute amongst those who needed. He gave everything because he wanted to, not because he had to. It was a great act of faith, so, so much so that the Holy Spirit has recorded it in Scripture. And I can imagine at the time that people within the community were singing his praises. Boy, you see what Barnabas did? Can you believe that? Wow. In verse 1 of Acts 5, we start with the word but. And this word connects the passages. Remember the, the chapters and verses are put in afterwards. The chapters and verses are put in for our benefit. And it's a strange place to start a chapter, but. The word but connects the passages. It connects the example of Barnabas and Ananias. Barnabas, although he, he, he didn't want it, he undoubtedly received a lot of praise from his fellow Christians. And this praise on Barnabas probably affected Ananias. He probably saw that and thought, boy, hey, yeah, I want some of that. The Lord had been gracious to, to Ananias. Ananias wanted the praise of men more than he wanted the praise of God. His wife's name, Sapphira, means beautiful. 
And the next probably went home that night, all excited about the church giving, and then, and then called his wife. Hey, beautiful. I think we ought to do something like Barnabas. So they sold a piece of land and received a good price. At this point, they might have promised to give all of it to the, to the, to the common treasury. It doesn't record that or not. But it, probably that they wanted to do that like, like Barnabas. But as they look at that big bag of money, they changed their mind. And they wanted to keep some. Let's hold back a little bit. They were caught up in the excitement of giving and, and probably, although we're not told specifically, probably promised to give the total amount to God. But their zeal was blunted when the testing came from Satan. They were unwilling to carry through with their own commitment to God. How often have we as Christians said we're going to do something for the Lord and then, then we do it halfway or we don't complete it? Think of Christians who have promised God a life of purity and separation and then backed out only to live, to live like some kind of carnal life, going back into the world. Think of the multitudes of professing Christians who, are, who, have, who have sung songs like, I'll go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do when they're in the church. And when they go out, they go where they want to go and do what they want to do. A common one that I hear is people saying, I will die for the gospel, I'll die for the gospel. You can't even die to self. They're guilty of the same sin of hypocrisy as Ananias and Sapphira. Why did they conspire to lie? It was his land. He didn't have to sell the land. No one asked him to sell it, and God don't need him to sell it. Even after he sold it, the money was his. He could do what he wanted with it. Why lie? What motive possessed this couple to lie? They could have even said they're making a little donation. Look, we can sell some land. We're going to give you a little piece, you know what I mean, to help everybody. Praise God. That's beautiful. Thank you. Why lie? Ananias opened himself up to a direct attack from Satan who filled his heart to lie. For Satan is the father of lies. Ananias could have done whatever he wanted to do with the money. But he was judged for lying to the Holy Spirit about the whole thing. God hates a sham, a phony, a pretender, a hypocrite. How many times have you told God one thing and done the opposite? Lord, if you, Lord, I will, blah, blah, blah. All of us, that's every Christian, has the potential to sin as Ananias sinned. God in his holiness couldn't stand the hypocrisy of Ananias. His sin was affecting the purity and power of the church of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of church. So in his sovereignty, he struck him dead. The death was sudden, severe, and supernatural. God's reasons for bringing about the deaths of Ananias and his wife Sapphira, Sapphira involved his abhorrence of sin, the hypocrisy of the couple, and the lesson for the rest of the church, both then and now. It's easy today to gloss over the holiness of God. It's, I think we need teaching and to really understand God is holy. It doesn't mean that God steps out of his holiness to lick you down. It means you try and step in there with your unholiness, you're getting licked down. You can't, it's like having a fire raging fire. You can't step into that without getting burnt. God is holy. This particular sin of hypocrisy in the church was dealt with swiftly and decisively. Were they saved? Were they saved people? We're talking about two saved people. Most Bible scholars believe they were. They say, yeah, they were saved. The story is told in the context of, of the actions of all the believers, Acts 4.32. They knew the Holy Spirit, Acts 5.3. And as we said, his lie could have been an earlier promise to the Lord. But the fact is, he, well, probably the biggest tell is they, they received church discipline. Hebrews 12.8 says, If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. 
The case of Ananias and Sapphira illustrates the fact that even believers can be led into bold, flagrant sin. It was Satan that filled their hearts to lie in this way, to test the Holy Spirit. Covetousness, hypocrisy, pretense, and a desire for the praise of men all played a part in their demise. These sudden dramatic deaths of Ananias and Sapphira served to purify and warn the church. Right away in the church's infancy, God made it plain that hypocrisy and dissimulation were not going to be tolerated. And his judgment, Ananias, and on and, and Sapphira helped guard the church against that, that kind of pretense. God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would seek to enter the church. Furthermore, the incident of Ananias and Sapphira was also established the authority of the apostles. The sinners had fallen dead at Peter's feet. It was Peter who had known about the secret sin. And it doesn't tell us how he knew, but he knew about the secret sin. And he had the authority to pronounce judgment in the church. If they, if, they, if, 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 they, if they got away with it, that would, that would uh, mash up everything. That would uh, mash up the authority of the apostles. The sad story of Ananias and Sapphira isn't some obscure incident in the Old Testament. This is first century church of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder to us today that God sees the heart and he hates sin. And that he is concerned for the purity of his church. Revelation 2.23 and I will strike their children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. God knows. Numbers 32, 23. And be sure your sin will find you out. God knows. Be doers of the word, not merely spectators on a Sunday. The gospel demands a response. If you're busy serving to feel good or look good, then your service is pointless. If you're busy praying for people, doing devotions, going to the study, etc., but sinning on a Saturday, it's pointless. You cannot fool God and he will not be mocked. What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? I'm asking you. To love God. What is the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you doers of the word? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Don't play church. But don't fabricate the works to look good. We're coming to a close. So a person could serve at regular church outreaches, you know what I mean? You could be serving all different initiatives on Sundays and stuff like that. Another person might not serve at all because their day job is really kind of, you know, intense and that. But they give a lot more money than other people to the, to the church, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, it's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about your heart. Where is your heart at this morning? Why are you here? Why have you got out of your bed on a Sunday? Most of you work or go to college or something like that. You're busy all week. Why are you got up out of bed on a Sunday? We've come together. To glorify God. We've come together to be in God's presence. We've come together to change, to grow as Christians. It's about your heart. James 2.17 says, well, sorry, James 2.17 is sometimes taken out of context in, in, in an attempt to create a work-based system of righteousness. But that's contrary to too many other passages of Scripture. James is not saying that our works make us righteous before God. But that real saving faith is demonstrated by good works. 
Works are not the cause of salvation. Works are the evidence of salvation. Faith in Christ always results in good works. The person who claims to be a Christian but lives in willful disobedience to Christ has a false or dead faith and it is not saved. Don't care how much they want to quote and what they want to quote and talk about, they know this, that, that, whatever theology they've got. They, they, they can't, how can they be saved? Many profess to be Christians but their lives and their priorities indicate otherwise. Look at your bank account. That's the biggest indicator of where your heart is at is what your money is spent on. The person who claims to be a Christian but is more interested in the approval of men is guilty of hypocrisy, all the gear and no idea. Jesus puts it this way. By their fruits you will know them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Just so, every good tree bears good fruit and a rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them solemnly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 16 to 23. If you're not sure that you're saved today, you need to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. You need to make a decision to stop sinning and start serving. If you're a Christian and you realize that you're guilty of being a hypocrite, then repent. Tell Jesus about it and he will forgive you. Stop it. Be real with yourself and those around you. Can I invite the worship team? Is there a worship team? Can I invite the worship team to come up? We need to repent. Thinking you're, you're all, all that when you're theologically sound, you know what I mean? You know, you know it all and you're blessed with godly understanding. Because you know a Hebrew word like Shema or a posh word like dissimulation. You serve at food bank every week, but you don't check on your own church brother or sister who you know is going through a hard time. We need to repent. Having sex outside of marriage and looking down your nose at a couple whose marriage is breaking down, we need to repent. Claiming to be a Christian but not dying to self. Not truly putting God first above all things and everything. We need to repent. Heavenly Father, Lord, God Almighty, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the evidence of, of our faith, Lord, would be evident, Lord, that we would love, Lord, that we would obey your first commandments, Lord, love you and put you above and, uh, all things, Lord. Don't care about what people think about us or laugh at us or look at us or whatever. Don't make no difference. Help us, Lord, to, to want to love you and serve you and to be proud to be your children. Those of us, Lord, who are caught up in hypocrisy, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to look at our own hearts, Lord, of why we're doing what we do. Help us, Lord, to, to repent, Lord, to cleave to you. Something I've learned in my walk, Lord, is that when, if I do sin, which I do, and we all sin, when I sin, it's, it's not to run away and hide from you, but to cleave to you, to confess my sin, knowing that Jesus is faithful to forgive you. To the person here who, 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 is, who is fornicating, they need to stop it. 
Let that be direct from you, Lord. Rebuke is, is, is often hard to hear, Lord, but it, it, it's so blessed and beautiful, Lord. You are, Father. You will discipline those who are yours, Lord. Help us to receive it and to grow. Help us, Lord, that we wouldn't get caught up with the works, the works, just trying to do all these different things all the time and without doing it with a heart of love. Help us to show love, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that today they will know you are real. Jesus is alive, and I can testify. Lord, you have changed my life, Lord, and I can do nothing but testify. And I pray, Lord, that the person who's here today who don't know you, Lord, would surrender their life to you, Lord. That they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would confess with their lips that you are Lord of their life. That they would repent from their sin and, 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 and t- turn the other direction to not do it no more. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, who are Christians, Lord, who are, who are struggling with sin, Lord. Because it's a thing we struggle with. Lord, help us not to be condemning ourselves, Lord, but to be repenting and, and to be confessing it to you that we would, we would be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Not more than conquerors in our own strength, as I keep hearing, but more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, who strengthens us in all things, Lord, enables us to do all things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that your spirit truly, as my brother said earlier, would fill this place, fill this church. Let this church be a light in the community, not a place for people to come and visit on a Sunday. Let us be a church that is a family that care about each other and love each other and reach out to the community and the wider community, Lord. Change us, Lord. We need change, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.